presents Movies Till Dawn for your late-night entertainment. Tonight, Heaven Can Wait. Welcome to Movies Till Dawn, a new podcast that's a safe space for filmmakers to talk about the fascinating and exasperating, always unusual and never quite the same thing twice process of creating motion pictures. I'm Raymond DeFelita, and I'm the show's Toastmaster General. The actor Kevin Conway passed away last week uh, at the age of 77, and I thought I'd do a little tribute to him on this podcast. I, I worked with Kevin uh, in my movie, Two Family House, that was shot in 1999. And I also twice worked with him on a reading of a script that I co-wrote and, and I still plan to make called Murdering Michael Malloy. Uh, so I thought I'd play clips from both uh, of those projects because we did a recording of Malloy this past summer of 2019. And it was the last time I heard Kevin's voice reading our dialogue, which was a, a real treat, as you can imagine. So I'll share a bit of one of his monologues with you from that recording. Uh, And I thought I'd tell a couple of Kevin's stories as well, because first of all, they're short, not to worry, but they both seriously define and encapsulate who he was as a a person and as an an artist. And as for being an actor, uh, Kevin was truly the definition of an actor's actor. Uh, Whether you knew him by name or not, you certainly would have recognized him from movies like Elephant Man, uh, he, which he also started on Broadway, uh, Gettysburg, Slaughterhouse Five, Thirteen Days, where he played General Curtis LeMay. On TV, he was uh, on Star Trek: The Next Generation, uh, and he was also a Broadway actor. He starred in the uh, 1970s revival of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest on Broadway. He loved being an actor, and he loved being a character actor. There's actually a quote in his uh, New York Times obit where he says. Uh, I don't envision posters of me hanging on the walls of girls' bedrooms. And since I knew Kevin, I can hear pride in his voice when he said that and not regret. Um, he was very proud and, and very comfortable with where he fit in the world of, of the actor. Uh, and he knew how other actors felt about him. He was widely admired by, um, by his cohorts. So I first met Kevin in 1999 uh, when we were casting my movie Two Family House. Uh, and the way I met him, it was, it was a great, to me, a great lesson, and it was also just a really kind of wonderful uh, moment for me. Uh, he, he was on the list of people who were going to come in and read, and I couldn't believe it because I knew who he was, and I was pretty sure Kevin Conway was offer only. Uh, you know, it would be an insult to ask him to come in and actually read for a part. So when I saw his name on the list that day, I asked my casting director, George Ann Walken, is this that Kevin Conway? It has to be somebody else, I thought. And she said, no, no, that's Kevin. He wants to come in. And I said, you know, that's, is that a little strange for Kevin? And she said, actually, it is. He doesn't usually come in, but he read your script, and he really likes it, and he wants to show you what he would do if you hire him for this part. So I said, okay. And, you know, with some trepidation, I waited for, for Kevin to show up because I thought, what am I going to do afterwards? Just say, thanks for coming in. We'll get back to you. You know, I mean, this is a guy who serious chops and serious background. Uh, and he came in. He came in and he was kind of unshaven and dressed in like a, a kind of a, an undershirt and tussled hair. And I realized later he was sort of dressing for the part because the part is of a sort of drunken, rough Irish guy. Uh, 
and he walked in and without any introductions at all, he said, hi, I read your script. Uh, I'd like to do this part for you and I'm gonna show you three ways that I'm gonna do it. And he just launched in and he did it. He was off book, he had the whole thing memorized and this great performance happened in front of me. And as soon as he was done, it was about a three page scene. As soon as he was done, he put his hands over his eyes and paused about five to 10 seconds. And then he started doing the scene again, except it was a completely different performance. He just, he had created the, a different guy. And then the same thing happened. He finished that, put the hands over the eyes, waited a few seconds, and he did the scene again, a completely different version. Three different guys came out of this one actor. All of them excellent. All of them, you know, he just sort of punctuated things differently and he, he found different different things in, within the lines that he was doing. And I, I was just floored by this. As soon as he was done, he walked over and he shook my hand and he said, I love your script. Thanks for meeting with me. And he walked out the door. That was it. Uh, and I said to Georgie, I'm walking, hire him. That's it. We, we got, you know, and, and she said, okay, which of his performances did you like best? And I said, I don't care. Anything Kevin's going to do is going to be great. Just get him before he reaches the elevator. Tell him that, you know. And so we hired him. Uh, and it was great. I, I didn't have him for long. I think I had him five days or so. But they were five terrific days. And all the cast, Michael Rispoli, uh, Kelly McDonald, we, we all just really dug working with him. Vinnie Pastor. Actually, I remember when Vinnie came to the set, he, he said, that's really Kevin Conway. I'm acting with Kevin Conway. Um, but he was, you know, he was a very loose guy. And we're sitting around on the set one day, and so this is the, the second Kevin story I want to tell you. And, you know, we're waiting around and killing time, and I said, how did you become an actor? And he told me how he became an actor. He was born in, in uh, Harlem, and I think he grew up in Brooklyn, and his dad was a mechanic, and I think his mom was a, worked for the phone company. In other words, this is not a family that you necessarily expect uh, a very accomplished character actor to come from. And he was a tough kid, and he grew up around, you know, the, the, the Irish gangs in that neighborhood. Uh, you know, he was, he was a scrappy guy. Uh, he wound up in the Navy and didn't, you know, didn't really have any direction after he got out of the Navy. And I believe he, had, he got a sales job, I think, somewhere. And, you know, he was a kind of floating around tough guy with no real education except what he learned in the Navy. And he told me that he fell in love with an older woman. And he, he was just and he, he was just infatuated with her, and she thought he was a kind of fun, you know, younger guy to just hang out with. And but he was he was deeply in love with this older woman, uh, and she said one night, uh, you know, I love the theater, and I thought it'd be fun to go to the theater. Uh, do you, do you like the theater? And Kevin had never been to the theater, and she said, I really love musicals, and I, I want to go see a musical. And he said. Yeah, I'll do anything you want, but Kevin's never seen a musical. He didn't really know, and by now he's in his mid-twenties, I think. So she took him to see Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, starring Anthony Newley, who also wrote it, which was, you know, a very hot ticket in the mid-1960s, uh, and some great standard songs have come from it, like What Kind of Fool Am I? Um, and this tough kid, Kevin Conway, is watching Anthony Newley sing and dance and he said, from the minute he saw him, he said, that's who I want to be. Anthony Newley? It's such a peculiar connection. And I, I just, I thought it was so funny. And I said, 
like, why? And he said, I don't know. He said, I looked at Anthony Newley on stage, and I said, that's exactly who I want to be. And so that's how Kevin became an actor. And, uh, you know, improbable as that seems, within a couple of years, he was uh, very employed on Broadway and off-Broadway and quickly seen as, uh, you know, he also was a voiceover artist, and he did the voice of Mark Twain and the Ken Burns doc, uh, by the way. So I, I kind of love that, though, because it really does show that, like, acting is one of those talents that if, it, if it's in your soul, it's going to find its way out. And the fact that it took Anthony Newley uh, to, to dig that out of Kevin, I, I, I'm forever grateful to Anthony Newley. Uh, so here's a clip from Two Family House. Uh, this is, uh, he plays Jim O'Neary, who's um, an unemployed Irish guy with a pregnant wife who was played by Kelly McDonald. And he's being told by his new landlord, who's played by Michael Rispoli, that he has to get out for non-payment of rent. And that's enough setup. So here's a scene from Two Family House. Well, who are you? I'm Vasallo. We met last night, don't you remember? What if I don't? Who are you? I own the place. The bastard that sent me the notice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen... I don't want to make things harder on you or anything, but uh, me and the wife, though, we ain't looking to be landlords. Oh, you're not? No, no. The idea here is for uh, me and the wife to keep the whole house to ourselves. Oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Big, too. Yeah. Well, actually, what I'm looking to do is turn the downstairs into a bar, and and uh, we're going to live up here. A bar. Lovely idea. Yeah, well, it's been on my mind for a while now, seeing as how the street's got all these businesses on it. I will you be I'm serving gonna... food? Food? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe some sandwiches or something. What? I didn't get to the point yet. The point is I'm looking for you to vacate. I don't want to make anything too uncomfortable for you, so it doesn't have to be right this minute. A couple of days will be fine, maybe even a week. Aren't you the generous soul, Mr. Vizalo? I'm just trying to be fair here. Let me tell you something. The fact that you bought this fire trap from that prick Mahoney tells me, above all, you're stupid. And if you think you're going to come up here and throw me out, you're even dumber than you look. Now, I got a wife in there expecting a kid. So in spite of your stupidity, I'm sure you'll be able to see that I'm not exactly in the mood to be thrown out on the street by some dimwit two-bit Italian who fancies himself a restaurateur. Hey, Volula. I forgot the rent. What about it? I ain't got it. They ain't had it for months. If you think that's going to be enough to throw me out, you're sadly mistaken. The New York Renters Association's... According to the New York Renters Association, I've got another year to live in my abode. A whole year, Vizuli. Did you know that? So don't bother coming up here knocking on my door looking for the rent because you won't get it. I mentioned that uh, we did a reading and then a recording of a script called Murdering Michael Malloy, uh, which I co-wrote with David Zellerford. Uh, it's a true crime story. <clears throat> it's about an aging alcoholic man named Michael Malloy. Uh, and that's who Kevin plays, who literally cannot die no matter how much people around him need him to. 
Um, and that's it, it's a, there's a gang of crooks in the Bronx who one of them ran a bar. His name was Tony Marino, and the bar was going out of business. So Marino took out life insurance on Malloy in the hopes that they could help him along on what was his obvious journey into oblivion and collect on him. Only no matter what they did to him, and what they did was awful, including running him over with a car, putting poison and nails in his sandwiches, feeding him as much alcohol as he could possibly stand. Everything they did thwarted them. Malloy wouldn't die. The reading was done quite some time ago initially, and I asked Kevin to be Michael Malloy. I, I'm sorry to say that I typecast him as an Irish drunk. He had no objection to that. He liked doing it. He liked our writing. Uh, and the reading was, was really terrific. It still didn't get the movie off the ground. But we were thinking about it uh, just this past year, and David and I said, why don't we make a recording of the reading? Why don't we create something that uh, could potentially be a podcast, which we could use to demonstrate how great our story is? And, and, you know, and so we did it, and I called Kevin, and I said, would you be willing to do this again? And he was a little different than I remembered him. He was, he was hesitant, and he said, I have not really worked in the last few years. And he said, I'd like to do it. I, I need to study it. Uh, and I, I thought, okay, you know, just you can, you can say no also if you don't want to. But he did it. Uh, and it was a different performance than the one he gave at the reading years ago. It was, it was more melancholy. It was more reflective. Uh, it, was, it, was a, it was the voice of a man, you know, 20 years older. Uh, and 20 years wiser and maybe a little sadder. Uh, I don't know the circumstances of the last few years of his life, but it, it was wonderful seeing him. He was a little haunted, and it comes across in his performance, I think, and I want to play you a monologue from Murdering Michael Malloy. It's the last time I saw Kevin, uh, and I love that we have his voice to remember him by. For Oak and Helm, have pleasant leaves that in the springtime shoot, but grim to see is the gallows tree with its adder-bitten root, and green or dry, a man must die before it bears its fruit. Gee, that's awful sad. Perhaps we each should have one more as a result. I don't know. Tony will be upset. Aye, if only he wasn't such a bitter man. Tony ain't a bad sort. He just gets a little sore now and then. Of course he's not a bad sort. I'd wager there's more good in the boy than evil. The problem is, you can't win a race with the devil. The devil can wait. Men like Mr. Marino can. Tony just wants what's coming to him. That's all. We all get what's coming to us, each in our own way, in our own time. And it's this, Joseph, that forms the only true the only grand pattern in our lives. On we travel, year in and year out, with our eye on our wallet and an eye on our future. And one day, the sun rises, and we haven't got a dime, and we haven't got a future. But we have the answer. We have the answer as to why we made the journey. We do? Of course. But the laugh's on us, for though we finally get the answer, we haven't any time left with which to understand.
If you enjoyed listening to Movies Till Dawn, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at podcast at gmail.com. You can access these conversations at iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, YouTube, as well as our website, moviestilldawnpodcast.com. If you'd like to see some videos pertaining to the guests of each episode, please visit my blog at moviestilldawn.blogspot.com. And please feel free to follow me on Twitter at RealRDEF. That's R-E-E-L-R-D-E-F. All interview material and audio clips are covered by the Fair Use Copyright Act of 1976, in which allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, education, and research.